Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Okay, good morning. Good morning. We're going to continue on in our study today of Jude. Surprise, surprise. Um, I'm going to read through, starting with Jude 1, let's read through verse 13 today. And I'm trying to continue to read through as we go so that hopefully the things that we've taught as we're even reading it, it'll bring things back to your remembrance of, of what we've taught. And hopefully all of you by now have um, taken your Bibles in verse 1 and marked out servant and put slave there. So that <laughs> um, I think I've got a legacy study Bible coming. I think that they made that change in that. So I will have it in the correct way. So let's start at verse 1. Judas a bond slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are the called beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about your, our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe and angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example of undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand. And the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them! For they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These men, these are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without care, fear, caring for themselves. Clouds without water, carried along by winds. Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars, 
for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Lord, this is your word. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we understand that in other times, the, the common person didn't have your word. And we thank you for faithful men that fought and even died um, to bring us, got your word, so that we could study ourselves and to um, continue to grow in it and not to be swayed by people that would twist your word. We thank you for this body of Christ. We thank you for this morning, and we give you praise for everything. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> Today we're going to be looking at Jude 11 through 13, but before we do that, let me just say some things. Last week we looked at verses 8 through 10 and saw that the false professors defied the flesh, rejected authority, and slandered angels. These apostates were fulfilling their own desires. They lived lives polluted with sin. They not only rejected human authority, but also the lordship of Christ. They had no fear of God and were arrogant enough to slander the things of God, including angelic beings. Their lives were filled with contradictions to what a true believer is. Jude has been giving us the character of these apostates, but does not tell us exactly what they were teaching. We can surmise that one of the big issues he was dealing with was that they lived a life not ruled by the Lordship of Christ, but rather ruled by their sinful appetites. It does not matter if an apostate has an official office in the church, or is a member, or just attends a local church. These type of people sow disunity to try to carry others away with them in their false teaching and licentious lifestyles. Here we have Jude giving a great warning, woe to those that spew false teaching. These people bring an unholiness to the church. So my question is, why do we and other professing believers put up with false teachers? And if you, I, I am, I've spent a lot of time watching videos of false teachers. And you can watch them for a time and it's like, oh, they seem like they're right on. But then their false teaching comes in. They're deceptive. So why do we not care for the purity of the church as we ought? Let me suggest some reasons here. First is we fear man. Many are afraid to confront false teaching because of the fear of man. They shrink back, wanting to be liked by the world rather than fearing God. In Galatians, Paul is confronting false teachers and those that have followed their false teaching. He even confronted Peter about Peter's fearing man rather than God. Paul is a good example for us not to shrink back from confrontation of false teachers and confronting believers who go off course. In Galatians 2, 11 through 14, Paul says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward 
about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Second, we discount the importance of the purity of the church. Love is love is something you hear a lot about these days. Sadly, this misaligned statement has crept into the church. Many use this as an excuse to not correct anyone theologically. Love is defined by God and his word. We see that true love is telling people the truth and specifically loving others enough to warn them of the judgment that will come to them if they do not repent. Paul dealt with a church at Corinth that was allowing members to continue in their sin without dealing with them properly. Purity of the body of Christ was at stake. The Corinthian church was complacent and not dealing biblically with at least one man that was in great sin. In Corinthians 5, 9 through 13, he instructed them with the following. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. And third is, we do not know the word well enough to combat error. Many never get beyond just knowing Jesus superficially. They aren't the ones in, they are the ones in John, 1 John 2.12 that are still little children. They never go past a very basic understanding of scripture. They cannot defend the faith as the young men in verse 13 of 1 John 2 describes. And our final reason is we may have unrepentant sin in our lives. We may not be taking our own sanctification seriously and killing the remaining sin that dwells in us. There is a lack of boldness when we are living in unrepentant sin. This person is not good for himself, the body of Christ, or the fallen world. These are just a few things I thought of. We must not fear man. We must take the purity of the church as paramount. We must be examining our own life for remaining sin, and we must be students of the Word of God. I had a guy call me. Some of you knew, know I was in the movie industry for a while. Some guy called me about the movie industry a few weeks ago. He wanted to take one of his books and option it for a screenplay. This was a professing believer. I have never met this man, but he started telling me that God gives him dreams and visions. He was what we call charismatic to the likes of Kenneth Copeland, T.D. Jakes, and all the other false teachers. Well, as a faithful brother to this professing believer, I challenged him in his false understanding of scripture. I had a duty to God and to that man to point these things out regardless of what he would think of me. 
God's glory is more important and his word is to be defended and taught. Just to make it clear, I don't like confrontation, but I fear God and want to be a faithful slave of his. I wish we could have unity at all times, but there is no unity outside of the objective truth of God's word. So this morning, let's read verses 11 through 13 for our study. It says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. Clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Verse 11 starts with woe to them. In the Old Testament, the two prophets of God pronounced oracles of woe to the rebellious and unrepentant. The word woe in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, is used to express grief, despair, sorrow, and dissatisfaction. In the New Testament, the word is used to speak of sorrow and of judgment to come. Jesus pronounces woes of future judgment upon apostates when he uses the same term and is direct in saying to you as he was talking to the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23. There are eight woes in that chapter. Here is one example from Matthew 23, 27 through 28, which says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. These scribes and Pharisees were leading many astray because of their false teaching and hypocrisy. It is like saying, this is going to turn out for your destruction, and it will be horrible for you unless you repent. So here we have Jude using this same word for these apostates. Now Jude gives us three more examples from the Old Testament, and you all know that he loves examples in threes. So here, here we have um, three of them, examples, we look at in the Old Testament, Cain, Balaam, and Korah. In verse 11, he says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Our first illustration is Cain. They have gone the way of Cain. Jude goes all the way back to the beginning of the human race to the son of Adam and Eve. Cain was the firstborn of, of um, Adam and Eve, and he was the brother of Abel. The story of Cain is found in Genesis 4, and if you grew up in church, I am sure that you have been taught this in Sunday school. Cain and Abel both brought sacrifices to the Lord, which shows that Adam and Eve taught their children to worship the Lord. God had instituted the sacrifices when he did the first sacrifice after the fall of Adam. The sacrifice was a picture of God providing the ultimate sacrifice in Christ to take away our sins. 
God instituted this with clear instructions that it was to be an animal sacrifice. Instead of obeying God, Cain chose to come to God on his own terms, inventing his own form of worship. Cain's heart was at issue here. Out of the heart comes our actions, good or bad. So it was not first and foremost the type of sacrifice, but rather the motive of the heart. This is a great reminder for us. Do we just go through the checklist and then think we are fine? Or does our obedience flow out of a heart that loves the Lord? Let's look at Genesis 4, verses 3 through 7. It says, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part also brought an offering from the firstborn of his flock and from their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his face was gloomy. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face gloomy? If you do well, will your face not be cheerful? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. God was gracious with him and warned him, but Cain grew more angry. Cain's sin eventually led to the first murder in the human race. Cain murdered his own brother. Cain spurned the warning of God to repent. Instead, Cain was only interested in sparing his own life after, after the murder rather than repenting of his great sin. Going on in, verse, in Genesis 4, verse 13 and 14, we read, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. What should have led to repentance instead led to exposing the love Cain had for himself and the disregard he had for God. When Jude compared the apostates with going the way of Cain, it wasn't that they murdered anyone, but rather they were self-absorbed, concerned only for themselves and nothing else. Here is a picture of Jude's apostates. They were those that out of pride and stubbornness of heart were disregarding God's word and warnings, making their own religion and continuing in their evil ways. They approached God on their own terms and not his terms. And just like Cain, they had no fear of God. Their hearts were as cold and hard towards God as Cain's heart was. Our second illustration is they rushed headlong into the air of Balaam. Our verse says, and for pay, they rushed headlong into the air of Balaam. Jude is using the example of Balaam to show the motive of the apostates, which was for what they could gain financially from others. In Numbers 22 through 24, we find the story of Balaam. We don't have time to unpack the entire narrative, but let me just try to summarize it here. The king of Moab, Balak, was concerned about Israel's expansion as he witnessed other nations falling because of them. Balak hired Balaam to curse Israel. God would not let him curse Israel because God had made a covenant with them. God even used Balaam's donkey with, in the confrontation with Balaam. God told Balaam to only speak what the Lord directed him to say. 
Balaam was, re was rebellious against God, and though he did not outright curse Israel, he did give counsel to Balak on how to ensnare the children of Israel. In Numbers 31, 15 through 16, we see that because of the counsel of Balaam, Balak gave the Moabite women to the men of Israel, which led to the downfall of Israel when they disobeyed the Lord. It says, And Moses said to them, Have you spared all the women? Behold, they caused the sons of Israel, through the counsel of Balaam, to be unfaithful to the Lord in the matter of Peor, so that the plague took place among the congregation of the Lord. The plague mentioned here was the judgment God brought upon Israel because of those, that action, and 24,000 died as a result. Balaam was a mercenary prophet. He was a prophet for the profit he could gain. In 2 Peter 2.15, it says of Balaam, that he was one who loved the wages of unrighteousness. These apostates were just like Balaam, flattering with their false teaching and loving money and prestige rather than faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. Their motives and actions were only about their own gain rather than others. They also, as Balaam did, misled many into sin. And our final illustration is Korah and perished in the rebellion of Korah. We have the story of Korah in number 16. Korah was the cousin of Moses. He was a Levite and he held duties in the tabernacle. Korah had great influence on others and gathered up 250 men with him to go against Moses' leadership. It says that these men were men of renown. So this isn't just any ordinary Job, but rather men that were of some reputation. Possibly they were in under-shepherd roles. Korah was jealous of Moses' position. He felt he should be in charge too. This was akin to spiritual mutiny or a coup. We read in Numbers 16.3 the following. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst, so why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? Well, it was not a good ending for Korah and these rebellious men who wanted positions of their own within Israel. They did not want Moses over them. They rebelled against the authority of God and also the authority God had given Moses. God stopped the rebellion of Korah in a tremendous display of his judgment on them. In Numbers 16, 28 through 35, we read, Then Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for it is not my doing. If these men die the death of, a, of all mankind, or if they suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that is theirs and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will know that these men have been disrespectful to the Lord. And as he finished speaking all these words, the ground that was under them split open and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up their households, and all the people who belonged to Korah with all their possessions. 
So they, they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled as they at, at their outcry, for they said, The earth might swallow us. Fire also came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. What is amazing is that the next day after this happened, the people grumbled about the fairness that was supposedly not shown to Korah, and they complained against Moses and Aaron. This is recorded in Numbers 16.41. Moses had to intercede for the people and make atonement for them. Again, another picture of what Christ does for us, but not before another 14,700 Israelites died on account of Korah. You would think that they would have learned their lesson by the example of Korah, but they did not. How were these apostates like Korah? First, just like Korah who disputed and rebelled against the authority of Moses, these apostates rebelled against the authority of the teaching of Christ. Secondly, just like Korah who caused division among the children of Israel, these apostates <laughs> had brought division to this body of Christ. And finally, just like Korah and his followers, these apostates would be destroyed with eternal hell. As we have seen over and over, this is the fate of all that reject Christ. Cain ended up in exile away from God's people. Balaam died in a battle, but Korah's fate was immediate, public, and swift. Jude may have left this example as the last one to emphasize that just as Korah was swallowed up in judgment, they would face the same. Korah's end was an immediate judgment, and just as judgment came upon them, so it will come upon these apostates. Now Jude moves to five natural phenomena that describe who these men are. It is interesting to compare that he compares them to natural forces which fits these men well because they are natural men and not spiritual men. Jude says in verse 12 and 13, These are the men who are hidden wreaths in your love feast when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, and wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Jude now is demonstrating how these apostates affect the body of Christ. They promise to be a benefit to the church, but in fact they are no benefit at all and only a deadly detriment. These men are, are like hidden reefs, waterless clouds, fruitless autumn trees, wild waves of the seas, and wandering stars. Our first example is that they are like hidden reefs. It says, hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. Some translations use the English word blemishes or stains, but the correct word here is the ledge of a rock, a reef. If you know anything about sailing, you know that reefs that are hidden under the water and not detected can rip through a ship very fast and sink it quickly. Jude is pointing out the unseen danger that these apostates are to the church 
They crept in among the believers and tore the insides out of the naive ones with their false teaching and examples. They are a force for ruin. The love feasts were designed for a time of gathering together, enjoying physical food, but even more importantly, enjoying spiritual encouragement and instruction. It's much like when we gather for a fellowship meal together, but even a more beautiful picture would be when we gather for worship, hearing the word of God taught, and participating in the Lord's Supper together. These false, pro these false professors participated in the love feast with no fear of God and no concern for anyone but themselves. It says in our passage that they only cared for themselves. Ezekiel 34, 7 through 10 says, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them, and make them cease from feeding the sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves any more, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth, so they will not be food for them. What was supposed to be a time of unity and sharing the best with each other, in essence loving each other well, was the opposite with these apostates. They had no desire to shepherd or love anyone except themselves and their evil appetites. They only took and never gave. Our second example is waterless clouds. Clouds without water carried along by winds. And unfortunately this morning my illustration betrayed me because we got clouds with rain today. <laughs> but here in Texas we have watched clouds roll over without any rain falling. The anticipation of rain looks promising, but the clouds fail to drop the rain. It says that these people are like waterless clouds carried along by the winds. These apostates promise blessings to the body of Christ, but never deliver, just like clouds without water. They are boasters with empty tanks. They have no true knowledge of God, they are devoid of any spiritual blessing to others. Proverbs 25, 14 says, Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts falsely. These apostates are carried away with their own false teaching. It is as if Jude is saying there is a force upon these apostates which is Satan rather than God. Ephesians 4, 14 says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness or deceitful scheming. The Apostle Paul in the previous verses laid down that we must be growing in our faith and find our unity in Christ. Yet these apostates were the very people that Paul describes here. Our third example is fruitless autumn trees. Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. These trees should be bearing fruit at the time of harvest, but they produce no fruit. These apostates are the same as these trees. They bear no fruit of true salvation. 
They are doubly dead from the top of the tree to, down to the roots. They are dead to the core. They are disconnected from the source of life for the tree. Their roots do not absorb the nutrients and water needed to be healthy. These people were just like these trees. They had no life-giving source. They are spiritually dead. On the outside, they look like they should have fruit, but the reality is death resides in them. They do not produce the fruit of the Spirit because they are devoid of the Spirit. Jude holds out no hope for them. What a contrast we have here between these apostates and the person that is in Christ. We read in Psalm 1, 1 through 3, the following, Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. If we are in Christ, he is our source of life. Our roots grow deeper and deeper in him as we abide in him. The apostates are not so. They are doubly dead and even uprooted with no source of life whatsoever. Our fourth example is wild waves of the sea. Wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam. Wild waves denote stormy conditions. These apostates were dangerous to others in the body of Christ, just as wild waves of the sea are dangerous for the mariner. This also shows their untamable and uncontrollable nature they have. If you have ever lived by an ocean or been to the shores, you may have witnessed the waves crashing upon the shore, and with those waves bring much debris. The foam that these waves create is dirty and full of junk. And us living in California, we have seen that over and over, how it brings in the junk. These apostates had no shame in their behavior. They felt no shame in their sin. Philippians 3, 18 and 19 describes these apostates. It says, For many walk of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. These apostates cannot bring forth anything good at all. They are restless and turbulent. Their immorality, arrogance, and disrespect of authorities only produces sin in their lives and danger to others that may listen or observe them. They have no shame in their ungodliness. Isaiah 57, 20 through 21 says, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. They have no peace, no honor, and only bring shame upon themselves. Our final example is wandering stars. Wandering stars from whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. This is not talking about stars that are set in their place, but rather shooting stars. 
Stars were used to guide people on their journeys, and a star that wandered off course was useless to guide them. If you have ever seen a shooting star, it shines bright for a while, but then burns out and disappears in utter darkness. Just like wandering stars, these apostates promise spiritual blessings and instruction, but they are devoid of offering anything to anyone. Just as, shooting, as a shooting star that would be followed, these blind guides led others astray. They may come in like a bright shining star with promise, but time shows they are like a shooting star that burns out and disappears. For whom the black darkness has been reserved forever is pointing to their final end, which is eternal hell. In verse 6 of Jude, we read that the angels that did not keep their domain were held in utter darkness. So would be the fate of these apostates. They own, that the only thing waiting for these people is their final destination, which would be hell. Their fate will be the same as their father, the devil. We read in Re Revelation 9.10, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So what can we say about these apostates? They had an unholy boldness, unholy ignorance, unholy ambition, and an unholy presence. They were devoid of any spiritual life and only created chaos. So as we in, start to wrap this up here, what lessons can we derive for ourselves from this passage? Number one is we must fear God rather than men and not shrink back from our duty to call to the Lord to call out false teachers. We must identify and warn and call out these false teachers for the sake of the flock if they are in the church, we have to discipline them in hopes of repentance. And just a side note, church discipline is always in view of hoping the person will repent and be restored in, back into the body of Christ. Ephesians 5, 6-13 instructs us with the following, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret." But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Secondly, we need to guard our hearts from becoming hardened by our sin. Just as Cain hardened his heart even after God confronted him, let us be a people that does not let our pride overtake us. Our pride is going to continue to rear its evil head in us, and we must continue to be humbled by God's word. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13 says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. 
but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Take that seriously. Thirdly, we need to check our motives. Are we more concerned about what gain we can achieve, be it money, power, or position, or what people think of us, rather than loving others and putting their needs before our own? Do not be like these apostates in Balaam, willing to sell favor for gain. We need to be shepherds to each other, as God has called us to be, even when it costs us time and resources. Philippians 2, 3-4 is familiar to most of us, but here it says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interest of others. And may I say that is the interest of others is their spiritual welfare. We must be concerned about each other's growth in Christ. And fourthly, we should honor and respect our elder, elders who do well in leading us. We have seen the examples of supposed shepherds that only care for themselves and have no regard for the body of Christ. But the opposite of that is shepherds that work hard to be examples of godliness, feed the flock well, and protect the flock from ravenous wolves. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. That is not to say that they are above correction or reproof, but even that needs to be done in humility, without pride and for the betterment of them and for the good of the congregation. There may be times when it is very appropriate to go to an elder or all the elders about some issue that needs to be addressed, but it always needs to be done with a heart of humility and grace. Let me just say again, as I have said in the past, we need to be very careful of imposing our preferences upon each other and upon the elders. Some treat their preferences as law, but we must be careful to make sure we are not allowing our preferences to cause division among the church. The faithful shepherds of our Lord are to be given double honor. And finally, if you are a follower of Christ, pursue him more and more in his word. Spend quality time each day in his word. You cannot defend and contend for that which you do not know. Many are floundering in their faith because they simply are lazy and do not see the urgency there is to continue to grow. I'm sure we've all had those times where we've seen an accelerated rate of growth happen as we are exposed to the word and we're being diligent in his word. And then we have those valleys where maybe we're not as um, diligent as we should be. But it's more than just... Uh, for being able to call out false teachers. The reality is you will only grow as much as you're in the word. God uses his word through the Holy Spirit that lives in you to cause you to become more holy. So you are doing exactly like the autumn trees. If you are not sucking up nutrition and food, 
from the source, and the source is his word as the Holy Spirit applies that to your life. And I know I keep hammering this home, but without regular Bible study, you will not grow and you will not be able to defend the faith. <clears throat> Ask God to refresh your heart and restore unto you the joy of his salvation. If you are not a follower of Christ today, I would call you to repentance. God is being gracious to you to hear these warnings all the way from the beginning of Cain through Korah and through all the way through to these apostates. He's warning you to repent and turn from your sins and put your trust in him alone. And if any of you need to talk about that, there's several of us that would be very willing to discuss with you what salvation is. And let me end with this. <clears throat> In Hebrews 2, 1 through 3, we read, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? My heart is to see all of us being built up in the faith to be bold against false teachers, and to be ready to give testimony of the hope in which we live. You are loved much by God and by each other, and we want to see our body here at Cornerstone growing every day to become more like our Lord for his glory. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the lessons we can learn in it. And Lord, let us not just be hearers that walk away and forget what we hear, but let us apply these truths. And Lord, thank you for the personal time of study that you have used to continue to um, burn off the dross that is in my life to make me more holy, not so that people think good of me, but that they can give glory to you because of your work in me, because it's all you. We thank you for this opportunity to gather today. I do pray for Breck as he brings another message to us. We thank you for faithful shepherds. We thank you for our elders. We thank you for each other, that we can stimulate each other to become more like you. In your name we pray, amen.